We'll remain standing since we usually stand to read the passage. Let me give you one passage before we start. Now we've been studying the seven judgments. And uh, those of you that haven't been here, come to Revelation chapter 20. We've already talked about your judgment of your sins at Calvary. And then your judgment of yourself um, and before the Lord. And we talked about that, not just at the Lord's Supper and those kind of things and confessing your sins. Last week we talked about the judgment seat of Christ. And some of you... That's uh, the first time that you've heard it or the first time in a long time. That's the thing you need to always have forever in the forefront, not behind in the back of your mind, in the forefront. Everything you're doing right now, the Lord's taken note of it. And uh, the things you do in the body, 2 Corinthians 5, whether they be good or whether they be evil, God's taken a record of it. So thank God that your sins have been judged and thank God your ticket to heaven's been punched. But when it comes to standing before the Lord, the Lord says to you, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why is that important? He's trying to convince you that serving Him is worth serving Him. And part of the terror of the Lord there may be the fact that you missed opportunities to do things that God would have you to do, but you just chose to follow yourself. And that's just the long and short of it. I know that seems harsh, but in the day and time in which you live, there has never been a time where people live more for themselves than we do nowadays. We've become very, very selfish. Even the church has become selfish. And then there's the thing called the great white throne. Now, back days ago, years and years ago, it was always taught the great white throne and the judgment seat of Christ were the same thing. They're not the same thing. They don't judge the same people. And you don't have to worry about this judgment if you're saved. If you're not saved, and I know the majority of you, there's some folks over here I don't know, but well, they wouldn't be sitting in the front if they weren't saved. They'd be sitting back in the back or in the balcony somewhere. So they must know something somewhere. They just put one row between me and them. So I, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know, but I'm just saying they, they might. But, but the majority of you, I know you're saved. You don't have to worry about what I'm fixing to show you. But I'm going to do my best with the Lord's help to show you that this thing right here has been taught on a regular called a general judgment. And this is where everybody goes and you find out if you were good, you find out if you were bad, if you were naughty, if you were nice, and if you fall on the right side, you get in. If you don't, has nothing to do with this judgment whatsoever as far as a Christian's concerned. All right, Revelation chapter number 20, we'll jump off here in verse number 11. Make it, uh, yeah, 11. I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whom the, uh, whom the fa whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place found for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their salvation by grace through faith. That's a great passage if I want to try to provoke you to do something and to tell you that if you get judged according to your works, you don't even know if you're saved until you get to heaven to see if your works were enough to get you into heaven. You're not judged by your works. How do you know that? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of what? Works. Somebody here saved by works. All right, notice what he says, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their church attendance. Bible reading. Souls they led to Christ. Good works they did. No, he says they were judged according to their works. Death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in a lake of fire. All right, Brother David's already prayed, so let's go ahead and get started. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, this is the thing called the Great White Throne Judgment. And at the Great White Throne Judgment, you need to realize, uh, come to Revelation chapter number 11, and let me clear this up first and foremost. Uh, and this is the reason that they get things sort of what you would call cattywampus. 
And the way they get it cattywampus is, is that they got to try to figure out if in fact there's a difference in the body of Christ, then where do those individuals get judged? So because they couldn't figure out where they get judged, they just put them all in there and say the body of Christ and everybody gets judged at the great white throne judgment because everybody gets saved the same way in the Old Testament they do in the New Testament. You ever heard that before? This judgment right here does have to do with individuals and whether or not they get into heaven, but it also has to do with giving rewards to people who are already in heaven. But it's not you. So let me ask you a question. Let's just hypothesize for just a minute. Let's just say, for the sake of the discussion tonight, that I happen to be right about this. And people in the Old Testament were not saved by grace through faith. I'll grant you there was grace and by Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I understand all that. But let's just say they're not saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross because they were looking forward to the cross. Let's just say they got saved by their faith and works in the Old Testament. Okay? Now, if that's the case, they didn't go to heaven. They went to Abraham's bosom. And if it was prior to Abraham, they went to paradise. And so now all of a sudden we have a time. Where do they get judged? Well, if the body of Christ gets judged at the judgment seat of Christ, where do those people get judged? Where does Adam and Noah get their reward? How about Abraham? How about Isaiah and Jeremiah? Uh, how about Ezekiel or Daniel? How about those individuals? Where do they get their rewards? Where do the other individuals that are in the New Testament prior to Calvary, where do they get their rewards? I mean, the ones that were living right, doing right, acting right, and living according to Jewish law, and that were in, they weren't in the body of Christ. There was no body of Christ in the Old Testament. I mean, just theorizing that I happen to be right. I'm, I'm saying, you don't want to believe that, that's okay. But if they weren't there, where would their judgment occur? It can occur at the judgment seat of Christ because the judgment seat of Christ isn't even known about until the Apostle Paul is revealed, has revealed to the Apostle Paul and it's mentioned in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, and 2 Corinthians 5 and it has to do with the body of Christ. It has nothing to do with the nation of Israel. Well, where are the people in Israel get judged? Where do all the Old Testament saints get judged? Well, I'm going to show you. It's in Revelation 11. You say, when's their judgment? It's at the great white throne. It's not just the wicked dead, as many people have taught, that are judged there. As a matter of fact, there's rewards that wind up there. There's, there's people that receive rewards at the great white throne judgment. You say, no, it can't be that way. All of those people show up at the great white throne judgment. They're already condemned to hell. The angels are going to grab them hand and foot and throw them into the lake of fire. After they said, you know, depart from me, you curse into everlasting fire. Not according to Revelation 11. Right. We have a Revelation 11 is in the tribulation period. Revelation 11 is parenthetical. Revelation 11 takes a pause. He stops running through his second trip in the book of Revelation, which there's four trips through there. He stops taking them, and they don't run this way. They run this way. They're all four going at the same time. But you take four trips through that in the book of Revelation. And so one of the things that happens, Revelation 11, he pauses for a minute. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you from the beginning of that thing to the end of the thing. He's going to show you all the way through to the great white throne judgment and eternity in just a few verses in Revelation chapter 11. But who would know that? Doesn't read the Bible. Look in Revelation chapter number 11, and let me show you just a couple of things if I could please. Pick it up, if you will, please, in verse number 15. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices saying, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and uh, Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Well, that's in the millennium, right? Battle of Armageddon's over with. The Lord's down here. He's ruling and reigning over the kingdoms of the earth. And verse number 16, the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and what's and art to come. That's taken out of the other Bibles. 
You may not know that. It's kind of a sleight of hand there. Because thou hast taken thee thy great power and hast reigned. Okay, well, when has he reigned? That's a reference to him reigning in the millennium. He's reigned. That reign is over. The millennial reign, not the reign as far as him reigning forever and the government shall be upon his shoulders and there shall be no end. And the Bible says, The nations were angry, thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and thou shouldest give reward. Thou should give us what? To who? Thy servants, the prophets. Do you see it? And to the saints, and to them that fear his name. Now what happens there is, as you come to the end, the nations are angry, and there's your battle of Gog and Magog, and the time that they should be judged, that's the great white throne judgment we just read about. And guess who shows up? Before the judgment begins, he winds up doling out uh, things to his servants, the prophets, and to saints. Well, who would the saints be? Well, the Bible gives you a clue. In there, it's not just Old Testament saints, it's those also that fear his name. Well, do you fear his name to get saved? You know what the everlasting gospel is in the last few moments of the tribulation? Do you know what that gospel is? It's no longer the gospel of the kingdom. It's preached by an angel. Paul said in the book of Galatians, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach to you any other gospel than I preach, let him be accursed. Well, there's an angel that preaches a different gospel. Jesus Christ preached a different gospel. Does that mean he should be cursed? No. During that time frame, during the time frame you're at right now, if somebody preaches a gospel other than the death, burial, and the resurrection, baptism saves you, sacraments save you, works for salvation, works to get in, works to stay in, Paul says, let him be accursed. That's what he said. But Jesus Christ, the, 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 the apostles preached a different gospel. You say, who's preaching fear's name? An angel comes up there, you know what it says? Fear God. Fear God, fear God, He's coming. Fear God, those that fear His name. You know what you have to do the last minute before the Lord comes? You've got to be afraid of Him. Amen. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be afraid of Him. You don't have to fear Him in that sense of the word. Those that fear your name, that's what He's talking about. That's in the tribulation. When do they get their reward? They get it at the great white throne judgment. So dispel from your idea this mindset that at the great white throne judgment it's just going to be all of those that have been judged at the judgment seat of Christ that are sealed to the day of redemption and we're up there in our white robes and we're pointing fingers and everybody else is going to be damned. No, there's going to be a great time of rejoicing. You know what you're going to do? You're going to live to see all those Old Testament saints and Old Testament prophets. You're going to live to see them get their rewards. I mean, that'll be a blessing. You ever wanted to see Malachi? How about Daniel? Wouldn't that be a blessing? And they say, Daniel, give a word of testimony. Well, you know, Lord, I don't really have much to say. I don't want people bowing down and worshiping me. I have gotten in trouble for that before. Oh, we understand that. Thank God for that. Now, now go ahead and give us a word of testimony. Uh, I mean, what was it like down there? Well, the vegetables were really bad, Lord, but you sure did bless them in that kind of a deal. And I guess if anybody could bless vegetables, you could. No, move on now. Move on. <laughs> Anything unusual happened down there? Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, it was. I got thrown in lines den one time. You imagine how you'll be when he gives a personal account of what that was like? You know, to go something like this. Yeah, I got thrown in the lion's den. It was the greatest day of my life. What do you mean it's the greatest day of your life? Weren't you afraid? Well, no, I figured the Lord would have me eat up and I hope it would get me, kill me quick and that kind of a thing. Sure, it was dark down there. All of a sudden, the light came on and, you know, you were down there. The Lord said, who was down there? You, you were down there. You were there. <laughs> the light of the world. You walked in down there. You had one of them kitties pull up on one side and one on the other side and one for a back rest and one for a foot rest and one to lick my feet and give me a, a foot rub. And <laughs> he gave me a glass of iced tea down there. That's the greatest time of fellowship I ever had in my life. 
He said, if I could, if you wouldn't mind, Lord, I'd like to introduce you to Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And I said, well, boys, I'm going to ask you a question. You got any testimony? Oh, we ain't really got much to say except, you know, you did make vegetables do okay, but I don't want to be on a vegetable diet. I ain't no vegetarian, but, uh, but praise the Lord, you know. No, no, tell, tell us what happened. <laughs> well, we did get thrown in the fire. Oh, and you were there. <laughs> what do you mean, who was there? You, 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 sir, you were there. <laughs> you were walking around with us down there. I mean, the ropes burned off of us. We didn't even have the smell of smoke on our tunics, man. I mean, we walked around in there about to freeze to death, man. You'd think we had some kind of disease or something. The flames are seven times hotter, and we're down there putting on uh, fur coats and things. We're about to freeze down there and uh, testify of the Lord. What you reckon it would be like hearing from them boys? When's that going to take place? It takes place at the great fright throne in front of everybody. Your judgment, ladies and gentlemen, is for the bride. Your judgment might be in front of the bride, but it won't be in front of the entire world. Because you're his bride. Won't that be a blessing? Could I ask you a question? Which judgment would you rather have? I mean, as bad as the great white throne might be, would you rather have that or would you rather have the judgment seat of Christ, which could be bad, but at least you know if you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you're in. Just for you to consider. Take your Bible, if you will, please. Let me show you just a couple of things about this thing. Uh, come over, if you will, to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Here's what people have to look forward to. Now, you need to recognize that. And then there's no conflict in the Bible at all. When do they get their reward? They'll get it. They'll get it at the great white throne. They just have to wait a little longer than you do. You get your reward at the uh, judgment seat of Christ. And I hate to tell you this, but you know who will be there? You ever read Hebrews uh, 11? You ever read the heroes of the faith? Sawn asunder and put in animal skins. And that, that what they would do was take an animal skin, a lamb skin, and soak it wet and sew somebody in that. And then when that thing dried up, it would literally squeeze them to death. And they'd die and have their children drowned and handed back to them dead. You're going to get to see that. Those are Old Testament saints. They're not in the church age. I'm not talking about Fox's Book of Martyrs. We say, what's going to happen? You get to see all that take place. And you're saved. You're born again. You've got a free gift. They got the opportunity, bless you, they got the opportunity, but they had to earn their way in and had to do it to stay there. So what do you have to do to stay saved? Nothing. How do we know you are saved? You don't. All you have is my testimony. You can't tell by how I'm living if I'm saved. You say, who knows you're saved? Me and him. Well, I don't believe you're saved. Well, you doubt it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm doing everything I know to do to get saved. You say, well, I'm trusting the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If that's not enough, I'm telling you now, I can't make it. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. I read this passage, and when I read this passage, it gives me the shudders. Look, if you will, please, down in verse number 13. Uh, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I'm in Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Is that the judgment you want to face? 
have me removed. Look in Psalms 139. Now, my purpose of showing you these things is not just so that you doctrinally understand this, but to make you rejoice that you don't have to face something that unsaved people are going to have to face. You've got the opportunity to get out of it. You're a fool if you didn't take that. In spite of all the things that may be wrong and all the attitudes and ideas you have about everything going on, the Lord will knock the kinks out of all of our head once we wind up in heaven. It's still better than the best position you could be in in any Old Testament setting or any setting in the tribulation period. Psalms 139, if you would please, and look down in verse number, well, we'll pick it up in one. The Lord hath searched me and known me, and knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset behind, me, behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. God's everywhere you are and knowing everything that you do. How would you like to be brought into judgment for the things you think? How many times you thought something and you thought you had it lock, stock, and barrel? Come to Ecclesia. No, let's see. Come to, let's go to Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew 10. And you thought you had it down pat and you've already made a judgment about it and you've already made up your mind. You didn't know the whole story, but you're sure you did know the whole story. You made up your mind and you've already been judge, jury, and executioner. And then all of a sudden the Lord shows something and then the Lord said, I believe I'm just going to judge you for your judgment of others. You know what that Bible says? He says, judge not lest you be judged for in whatsoever manner you judge, you shall also be judged. He didn't say don't judge. He said, if you judge, I'm going to judge you the way you judge. How many of you judge with half the facts? Well, I already know. No, you're prejudiced. You've heard what you wanted to hear and you're being uh, encouraged to think a certain way because you've already made up your mind. You're prejudiced. Matthew chapter number 10, talking about the great white throne judgment. Look, if you will, please, in uh, verse number 26. 1026. That's it. For them, not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach you upon the housetops. Fear not them which kill the body, but that are able to kill the soul, but rather them fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That has to do with the millennial kingdom. You know what he just said? He said, bring that stuff into account. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're saved, you don't have to worry about that. The work you do in the body, whether it be good or bad, are not all those wicked, ungodly things that you've thought about and done since you were saved. That's covered by the blood when you got saved. But if it's an evil work, it'll be held against you at the judgment seat of Christ. It'll be manifested in wood, hay, and stubble, which will be a shameful thing for the best of us that'll be in that particular situation. Uh, let's see, Job 34. Should have done this while I was over there. Job chapter 34. If Ella told me one time, I was talking to him about trying to understand these things right here. And um, he said, well, I'll just take my chances. I said, with all due, due respect, you're, you're a fool. I said, the best of us is no good. I mean, you ever had a bad day? You ever just been wicked? You know, well, he said, well, I don't act on it. 
Well, you know what the book says. If you think it, you're as guilty of as if you did it. As a man thinketh of the, in his heart, what? Whether you do it or not. That's who you are as a person. So I'm, that tells me that if I'm going to pay attention, if I'm thinking it, it must be something wrong with me. And I need to fix me. The Lord's revealing before I act on it. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, what? Okay, so if something's coming out, that tells me something about me. There's something wrong with me. Yeah, but whoever I'm cursing deserves a good cursing. Yeah, but where'd that come from? Maybe they're 80% wrong. Maybe you're only 20% wrong. You willing to admit you're 20%? Yeah, if they admit they're 80. You mean so it lessens yours. You're not going to make no hay with the Lord that way. That's where people are nowadays. Well, I did do that, but he did worse. You have a funny way of looking at that. Look, if you will, please, in the book of Job, Job chapter 34. Look in verse number 22. You do realize that the Lord is a pretty a magnificent being, right? And you do understand that he's everywhere. The closest the way I could describe his presence would be this. Uh, he's like air. Well, preacher, that means I can go down under the... Well, yeah, then you die. I'll go in the ocean and I'll go and I can get away from him. According to Habakkuk, you can go down there in a bathosphere and the Lord still knows where you are. So if he's like here, that means everywhere I can breathe, God's there. Everything I do, God's there. Everything I think, everything I see, everything I hear, everything I touch, everything I taste, God's there. I don't want to be at this judgment. I mean, for me, it's as bad as going to hell. Having all the stuff you've ever done displayed in front of everybody that's ever lived on the face of this earth and the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim and all the magnificent beasts up there, everything, all, everything. Heaven and earth has passed away now. There's nothing but a great white throne and heaven and earth has fled away and nothing but people there standing on nothing. And everything that that person did is displayed in front of the entire universe. And you might have done a really good job keeping secrets down here. But if you're at this judgment, he's going to expose all your secrets to everybody. And by the time he's done, you know what you're going to do? You're going to damn yourself. When he says, depart from me, you cursed, Matthew 25, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's not hell. He's sending you into the lake of fire. And you know what he's saying? Depart from me, you cursed. Before you do, you bow your knee and you bend your knee and bow your head. And you confess that I'm Jesus Christ, the glory of God, the Father, and get out. And you have to amen your own damnation. I've been saved from that. Not because of holy living. Job chapter number 34. Uh, is that where we are? Yeah, 34. Look down at verse 21. The eyes are, are upon the ways of man. He seeth all goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. Somebody asked me one time, come to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Asked me one time, he says, you know, do you ever know anybody get away with murder? And I said, well, if I knew them, I couldn't say I knew that they got away with it if I knew who they were. But I said, I can tell you this, they may have think they got away with it. But there'll be a day where all that's going to be uncovered. They may not ever stand trial here. 
I'm sure that people have gotten away with horrible, horrible things. But the day of judgment's not over yet. You remember the old preacher who used to say this? He used to say, he was talking to that old farmer out there, and he said, you know, I got this and I got that, and it come harvest time, I got so on and so forth, right along about September, and the pumpkins are coming out, and the cornucopias are coming out, and that kind of thing. And he says, you know, the way I see it is, is I got plenty of money and this and that and the other. He said, what you think about that? Remember the old preacher's response? God doesn't settle accounts in September. Some accounts God doesn't settle until out of the great white throne. But all accounts will be settled. That's something you don't hear much about nowadays. They want to paint God like he's this kind of a, a, a sort of a flimsy kind of an understanding uh, too old for his own good grandpa who just kind of holiness don't matter anymore. Cleanness doesn't matter anymore. Righteousness doesn't matter anymore. I mean, just run roughshod over people. It don't, that don't matter anymore. I mean, who cares? When you get up there to be settled, laugh and mock and make fun of God and make fun of Christians and belittle people and that kind of thing, you get up there in front of them, they'll have a day of accounting. They've lost the fear of God. They don't talk about that much anymore. Don't want to talk about that anymore. You say, why? That's an unpopular God these days. He's mad with everybody. Well, I hope you're not mad with me right now. I think I'm right with him at the moment. But should I keep in the back of my mind that before I do something, I might want to consider he might... I think the fear of the Lord is the beginning of... I don't think I got all wisdom yet, so I must be still at the beginning stage because I'm still afraid of him. You say, what does it do? It keeps me out of trouble. I get in plenty of trouble as it is, but it keeps me out of some trouble, I guess you should say. Look in Daniel chapter number 7. Uh, come down, if you will, please, to verse number... There it is, 9. Verse number 9. Go through the great white throne here. I beheld the thrones were cast down. The Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head pure as wool. His throne was like unto a fiery flame. His wheels were a burning fire. A fiery stream uh, issued and came forth from before him. Thousands of thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. You're at the great white throne judgment there. That little comma that you have set and the books are open is divided by a thousand years from the millennial kingdom all the way to the great white throne. Jump down, if you will, in that same passage. Come down in the interest of time, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like to the Son of Man came in the clouds of heaven, came the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people and nations and languages that should serve him and his dominion and everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, that also takes place over there at the great white throne. At the end of the great white throne, you know what he gets? He gets everything that he bought and paid for. Romans chapter 2. I don't think I showed you this one yet. i tell you what, on the way over to Romans, drop off there at uh, the book of John. Make it John chapter 5. Who's going to be in charge of the judgment? The one they crucified. Jesus Christ will be in charge of that. John chapter 5, look in verse number 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but committeth all judgment unto who? The Son. Look in John chapter number 12. No fairer judge there would be. 
At least you know He'll be up front and honest with you. At least you know He doesn't show favoritism. I mean, if you did the work, won't He pay you for it? Do you really believe that? You really, you really believe that if you do something for the Lord, that He'll make sure that you get it returned to you? Or do you kind of think that He might do that? I mean, if you really believe that, are you willing to commit your life to Him tonight? I didn't say your money. I didn't say your property. I didn't say your job. I didn't say any of that. I didn't say your reputation. I said your life. Are you willing to have a Gethsemane experience? I mean, you trust Him, don't you? By faith, right? Not just for salvation, but for service, right? Why are you nervous about that? I mean, if you trust Him, why, why wouldn't you say, Lord, I'm saved, and thank God I'm saved, but Lord, I'm... You know what, I just want to check tonight and I want to make sure that the path I'm on is the path you want me on. And I, I'm, I'm yours. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'm not saying you're on the wrong path. Identity foolishness. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm on this path. I'm doing the best I possibly know how to do. But I'm just letting you know, just reminding you, hey, I'm here if you want to call me off the bench. A fellow called me yesterday and he ran a whole bunch of things by me and asked me a bunch of questions, great questions and stuff like that. And I said, brother, that's a real blessing. He said, well, that's not really the, expect, uh, the, the answer I thought I'd get. And I said, well, I don't know what you expected. But I said, can you imagine this? After all this time, God has seen fit to call you off the bench and to put you somewhere and the bottom line is, is you can't mess up. He said, what do you mean? I said, by just being obedient. Even if you go wherever it is the Lord's called you to go, what a blessing it is that all you can say is, I did what the Lord wanted me to do. And it doesn't matter if it does or doesn't go right. You can say, I just did what the Lord wanted me to do. And if your method is a soup sandwich, God will fix your method. What's your motive? I, I, I just want to do something. The Lord told me to go. I got confirmation. What do I need to do? I said, well, for the Lord's sake, go. Well, how's it going to come out? I don't know. That's what faith is called. Who knows if it turns out right? I said, honestly, my illustration was it really didn't turn out that well for the Lord. He came down here to die and he died and he started his ministry at 30 years of age and he comes up out of the pond and he goes over out of the river and he goes over there to be tempted to the devil for 40 days and from that moment on it was just one thing after another and then he winds up nailed to a cross. If you were to look at that life, you know what you'd say? What a failure. Now, we look at that life and say, what a success, but we see it differently, don't we? So I said, don't worry about that. What you do is, is you don't know what the Lord's got in store for you. What it is, you know what he may be doing? He may be using you to show you off in front of the devil. Well, preacher, I don't know that I would be doing that. Well, he didn't call you. He called me. Well, I just wouldn't want to do that. I told him, if you're sure that that's what the Lord called you to do, the Lord's just waiting to see what you want to do with it. Did you tell him you'd go? He said, well, I, yeah, I was thinking about it. <laughs> I said, okay, well, you're willing, right? I said, okay, if he says go, go. If he says stay, stay. Would you be willing to stay? Well, yeah, I'd be willing to stay. I said, okay, if you're willing to go, you're willing to go as you are to stay? He said, well, yeah. And I said, okay. He said, but you didn't tell me if I should or shouldn't. I said, I said, if he called you to go and if he said to stay, stay. He said, but you didn't. I said, I'm not answering the question for you. Amen. If he called you, Go. If he said, stay, stay. I can't tell you how God talks to you. He said, well, I'm sure that he called me. I said, okay. So you think I should go? <laughs> I said, if God called you to go, go. 
You say, what do you think about that? I see one of the greatest opportunities in the world that the Lord looked down and tapped that boy and said, hey, I got something I want you to do. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, but this is where I'd like for you to go. And this is what I'd like for you to do. And he, uh, what do you think? What a blessing. You get put in the mix. John chapter number 12. I know that doesn't make sense to a lot of you. I understand that. John chapter number 12. And verse number 48, uh, 47. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to, judge, to, to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word, that be Jesus Christ, that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So ultimately you're going to be judged by the word that you rejected. The very thing that people reject is the very thing that will wind up judging them. All right, come back to Revelation chapter number 20. Is it hot in here to y'all? I see you fanning. I'm, are you comfortable? I'm good. I'm just checking. Okay, everybody's good. Revelation, put your blankets up. Revelation chapter 20. Now, I don't know if I could properly uh, uh, show you the importance of this thing. But when you get finished with the judgment seat of Christ, after that thing is over with, you're going to have supper there with the Lord. And I don't know what that supper is going to be like. I can only imagine that it will be as wild as you can imagine because he says in Corinthians, I have not seen, neither ear heard, neither into the heart of man, the things he hath prepared for them that love him. So what I do is, is I try to make heaven as wild as it can possibly be because he said I can't imagine it. <laughs> so if I can make it wild, he's got to one-up me, Right. So I don't know how that thing's going to go when you get up there, but I can imagine the food that has been prepared by a sinless chef. I can imagine food that has been prepared with sinless ingredients. And without having to get the real taste of how things are supposed to be when they're put together by the ones that created it. And perfect harmony, I can't imagine what that food must taste like. But I imagine him setting the table with that and whatever it is that you like and whatever it is that trips your trigger, you got all of that you want and you eat, you ain't got to worry about a single calorie. You don't have to worry about how you look because you're not worried about your reputation. All you get to do is just enjoy sitting down with the Father and sitting down and having dinner. And every one of us will feel like Mephibosheth with his hands underneath the or legs underneath the table, knowing good and well that none of us deserves a seat at the table. And every one of us will be looking at each other going, why are you here? And the same reason you're here. You know, why do you think I'm here? Well, we're here because of Him. Amen. And you're going to know that and it'll put a humility in you. And you'll have the mind of Christ and you'll be able to eat to your heart's content. You'll be able to have all you want or the greatest flavors you've ever possibly imagined. You get up from that thing and walk across a pasture over there and come across a crystal clear liver, or a river there with all kind of jewels and diamonds and encrusted uh, stones down at the bottom of that thing, unlike anything you've ever seen with VVS1 clarity and all the other stuff. You come out on the other side of that thing and you hear the horses whinnying and neighing over there in the distance and you walk into a big old stable that looks like a mansion and you go down that thing and that horse is waiting on you and there's your new name written in Hebrew there and uh, you stop at that stall. You get in that horse and down that hallway you come and then all of a sudden you stop by that last stall. And on that stall, there's a stable there on the name hanging on that thing. And that horse there says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that horse has been pawing in a valley a long time. 
and he's got a coat like satin and a mane and a tail like sick, uh, silk, and he's got eyes like a flame of fire, and he's over there, and every time he paws, man, he strikes up lightning bolts, boy. And about that time, the Lord comes out, and King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his thighs, and he saddles up, and then off you go was a big, huge army divided up into battalions and into different groups of individuals. And you're walking there and it'll start getting real to you then. And you're going to start thinking in your mind, well, was it worth it all? Was it really worth it? I mean, should I have done everything I needed to do to try to stay in church and read my Bible and pray? And every one of you will be thinking, yeah, it, it, yes, it was worth it. I, this is beyond anything I can imagine. And your long flowing white gown that's on you because of some righteousness that you did that was given to you by Him. And those horses get up there. Boy, those nostrils are flaring. And you go out to the edge of the then known universe there and you step off onto that thing out into the solar system. And the Lord said, let's go. And you follow Him down for the battle of Armageddon. And about the time you come back down to this dilapidated, worn out, burned out, tribulation ruined earth with the devil ruling and reigning, you're going to say, yeah, it was worth every bit of it. Amen. It was worth every single mile and every bit of suffering and every bit of trouble and every bit of problem and every bit of difficulty Amen. and all the griping and all the complaining Amen. and all the irritation and all the sickness and all the disease and all the divorce and all of the junk that goes along with it. Yeah, it was worth every single bit of it. Amen. Because at that moment you'll be straightened out. Your mind will be given you like a mind of Christ. Your body will be like the body of Christ. And you'll come down here and you'll fight in a battle that's already won. And they'll try to stick you with a sword and it's not going to hurt. And when they stick you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to say, I remember when so-and-so stuck me with words. And boy, did it hurt. And now they stick you and guess what? It doesn't hurt anymore. But it hurts now, doesn't it? To be falsely accused. To be blamed for something you're not guilty of. To be made fun of for the cause of Jesus Christ. To be laughed at. To not recognize the demonic entities behind all that. Wouldn't it be good to get rid of that crab shell, to be able to get out in the open and to be able to not be ashamed anymore and not be afraid anymore and to go out there and know you're in the perfect will of God and you can do anything you want to do as long as you want to do it and know you never mess up one time ever again? That'll be the difference in your judgment. They still have theirs to come. After the battle of Armageddon, you come through the millennial kingdom. At the end of the millennial kingdom, you got the battle of Gog and Magog that takes place there that the Lord Himself fights. The Spirit comes out of His mouth and destroys them. And at that moment, He obliterates everything. And there's a great white throne. And you're on the right side of it. And you're standing behind Jesus Christ, thousands upon thousands that minister to Him. And you're up there. And guess what? Everybody since Adam's going to be there. And all the angels before Adam will be there. Amen. Know you not that you should judge angels? Do you think you have the right to judge an angel? The Lord said you will. But not until He fixes you. 
And you get up there to that great white throne judgment, ladies and gentlemen, and that Bible says the tears are not wiped away until after the great white throne judgment. I'm almost done. Bear with me for a second here. You know what's going to happen? You're going to see individuals that are going to come up there before the Lord and they lived a good life and they lived a clean life and uh, they did the things that they thought were right to do and so on and so forth. And if you compared your life as a saved individual, a Christian, they might even have lived a better life than you lived, but they're just missing one thing. And you're going to see family members and friends come up. You're going to tell me you're not going to shed a tear? Why, even Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus wept over unbelief in John 11. You don't think when that person comes up and looks up there at you and says, how'd you get in? Why didn't you tell me? How come he's on that side? I, I was right there with him when we did. But the difference in them and me is, is I trusted him. But that doesn't make me better than them. Christianity never vaunts itself over somebody because we're saved and they're not. We weep over those that aren't saved. But by the grace of God, yes, there go I. Amen. But now it's kind of like we rightly divide the Bible and we got a King James. Got on a suit and tie. We know everything. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd pause and ponder and think about that for a little bit, It'd have a tendency, instead of make you proud, it'd have a tendency to make you humble. And to realize, man, you know what? Who am I to even be saying anything about anything? So that's when this thing takes place here. We're going to stop there. I'll get into the rest of it on Sunday. I hope you'll come and be here for that. But I want you to notice what happens to him here in Revelation 20, and we're done. This is the second death. This is the final coup de grace. This is the end of everything. Because after this, he looks and he sees a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, uh, he sees the uh, city coming down like a bride adorned for her husband uh, out from God and comes down through the universe. The universe has been purged then. And then it comes down there and there's the new Jerusalem and so on and so forth. That's 21 and uh, goes into 22 there. But the thing you want to recognize here, it's at the end of that passage. And this is a great passage to use for individuals that are lost individuals. You can show them the end of their life the end of their soul. They're going to live forever in an eternal lake of fire. You have to point out all the weird things and show them that they're in de-evolution and they're becoming a worm and all that kind of stuff. All that may be true. They're lost. They're not going to understand that. But you should show them the fire. You should say that that time, that's when eternal separation from God comes. You should say at that moment right there, you can cry out from that point on and the Bible says, God never knew you. You lived your entire life for yourself and God never knew you. God doesn't know you until you get in Him. So, preacher, I just don't really believe that and all that. I know it's too, too wild to imagine, too wonderful to understand. But what He's trying to get across to you there is, as far as God's concerned, if you're not in Him, you didn't exist. Well, I was a king. Well, I was a conqueror. I was Alexander the Great. I conquered before I was the age 33 years of age. I conquered the then known world. I went through everybody. I salted their fields. Nobody didn't tremble when they mentioned my name. I died a drunk at 33 years of age. You know where he's been? He's been burning in hell all that time. When he gets up there and millions and hordes of people that followed him will say, there he is, Alexander the Great, man. That's Alexander the Great. Hey, Alexander the Great. He said, I'm not great anymore. I don't have him. And the Lord said, depart from me, accursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
and out they go. And you should show people that. I might be as messed up as a soup sandwich, but I haven't lost sight of that. I realize people can look at me and pick me apart and do everything they want to do to pick me apart or pick anybody else apart for that matter. But I got that one right. My problem is, is at times I'm a little show to go ahead, a little slow to say, hey, this is the final. I'm, you want to prepare for the final? You don't want to be on the wrong side of that. There's no coming back from that. Why don't you get in now? You know what? I think we control the rejoicing in heaven. If we hear Bible's right, the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angel over one sinner that repents. How many times have they rejoiced because you led a sinner to Christ? How many times have they rejoiced because you repented? Father, I pray you bless the word and I pray, Lord, that you might burn these things into our minds and more importantly into our hearts and help us to recognize the seriousness of these things, not just for the purpose of getting the judgments down right and then getting them in the right place, but to recognize the goodness you've been to us, the graciousness that you've shown us by allowing us the privilege to get out from underneath these horrible things that are here to come in the life hereafter, eternally, not just in the here and now, not just for 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe 70, 80, 90 years, but Lord, I'm talking forever and forever and forever and forever. Help us to get our mind on that and to think about the eternal and the forever things more than we think about the things here and now. Please bless, I pray, everything that is going on right now. We'd ask your blessings upon these people for coming. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.